0: So this is a, an unexpected pleasure to meet all of you. I primarily came here to meet be with us and the fellowship of the family, but of <clears> of <throat> What is on my heart is, first of all, a message for my son of 52, read in the Old Testament the history of Israel is very has uh, got many lessons for us as Christians because as I have observed Christians and Christianity they've gone the same path that Israel has done you know, in the Old Testament if you've heard my messages on the internet or something, you know that I preach a lot about the new covenant. The Old Covenant was abolished, the covenant that God made with Israel through the law. But the books of the Old Testament are not abolished. In fact, it's improper to call it Old Testament. The Bible never says that is Old Testament, it is New Testament. The Bible sixty six books and all of it is ours. But the Old Covenant has been abolished we live in any covenant made by Jesus, but those first 39 books in the history of Israel have got a tremendous lot to teach us. There is a saying um, that history teaches us that history teaches us nothing. I don't know if you understand the meaning of that. It means that we don't learn from history and if Christians want to learn Go to the Old Testament, read the history of Israel, and see how they dishonored the Lord. We can learn from that. And it's been a great education for me to read the Old Testament, to see the burden of God's heart through the prophets. What do you read the Bible for? For knowledge that will kill you. I've often said this book can be the tree of knowledge of good and evil to you or the tree of life same book depends how you approach it just like the two trees in are garden. I can read this and get the knowledge of good and evil and say I am living by the principles of the Bible and you can be as dead as a corpse but the same book can be light. In fact, the Bible says that the letter kills the letter of the Bible kills it killed the Pharisees they studied the Bible and it killed them and uh, people like Peter who were not such great scholars they got life through the Holy Spirit so it all depends on how you approach it and approach it for knowledge more and more I have sought to approach this book with reverence because I believe it's the only book that God ever wrote for man and if I believe that among all the billions of books in the world there's only one book written by God I will do everything to study it and that's where I disagree with a lot of Christians who say this is the word of God but don't study I say you're a hypocrite you say this is the word of God but don't study it you believe there is only one book written by God in the whole world and you don't spend your time studying it? You must be a liar. You don't believe it. If you believe it, you would study it more than any other book in the world. I don't know, when I became a Christian, I was nearly twenty years old. I began to study the book. Finally, in about seven years, in about seven years I mastered it. Just, I mean, it's knowledge, not the Bible. I began to know it and I said, this is one book God's book. And I can tell you changed my life in of two years. So as I now as I read it, particularly these prophets, which some of you think are boring, I say, Lord, I want to look into your heart. That's what I want to see when I read the Bible. I read the Bible to look into the heart of God to see what He is thinking about His people, whether it's Israel or the church. I read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 in the Lord's Messages to the seven churches and I see the heart of God. I read the Old Testament prophets and I look into the heart of God His burden. Because God hasn't changed. His relationship, the way He deals with man has changed from old covenant to new covenant. But He himself has never changed. He's always always eternally the same. His nature has never changed. People who know God will say that. People who don't know God, We read the Bible and think that God was very strict in the Old Testament and suddenly became lenient in the New Testament. That's what they don't know God. He's never changed. So let's turn to Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 52, the Lord reminds them, in verse 4, that they were first slaves in Egypt. And then now, in the time of Isaiah, the nation of Israel, by the time Israel had been split into two nations the northern nation of Israel was being oppressed by the Assyrians first the Egyptians then the Assyrians Isaiah 52 verse 4 and uh, it says here in the last part of verse 5 those who rule over them how? whether it's the Egyptians or the Assyrians. They rejoice because God's people are being ruled by them. The Egyptians rejoiced that Israel was their slaves, and the Assyrians rejoiced that they could rule over Israel, and later on the Babylonians rejoiced that they could rule over Judah. And this is a phrase I want you to look at. And what is the result? The result, the Lord says, My name is continually blasphemed all day long. That was the result. When God's people are oppressed by the enemy, under the power of the enemy, whether Egyptians, or Assyrians, or Satan, or the world, When they are ruled by money or by sin, it doesn't matter which the master is, the master can be Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, sin, money, world, anything, any power that rules over God's people, the result is God's name is blasphemed. I wonder whether you have understood that let me say it in one sentence, if you allow any power other than God Almighty to rule your life the name of God is blasphemy. That's why God hated idolatry, that's why he condemned idolatry like anything else, like more than anything else through the prophets. And idolatry is basically giving something other than God First place in my life. Allowing something other than the Lord Jesus to rule my life. That's idolatry. If you allow lust to rule your mind, it's idolatry. A lot of young people worship pretty women more than they worship Jesus Christ. Does of that? And they call themselves Christians. And a lot of men and women worship money more than Jesus Christ. They worship their lusts. But they can glory in the fact that their doctrine is more in line with the Bible than the doctrine of other Christians who they say, well, they are liberal or they are nominal but the name of God is classique. And the more right your doctrine is the greater the hypocrite you are if Christ is not absolute Lord in your life. No, I'm not just saying that to you. I preached the same message in my home church in Bangalore where I've been an elder for 36 years. I've said to them, uh, brothers and sisters, by the, word, by the grace of God, God has given us understanding of the truth of Scripture. Uh, we're not boasting, but perhaps more than anyone else in India of the inner truths of the great truths of scripture. And therefore I said, we are in danger of having the biggest hypocrites in India in our midst, more than any other church. That worldly godless church won't have as many hypocrites because they don't claim much. We, I said I'm speaking to our church back in home. We claim that we know so much, we know the truth better than anybody else. Boy, then we better live up to it. Otherwise, my name is continually blasphemed. We need to understand that. That's why when the um, disciple asked Jesus once, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, you know, there are lots and lots of books on prayer you know that there are what are so called mighty men of prayer and every every man of God likes to be known as a mighty man of prayer we need a people who pray for two hours a day and four hours a day and all but that's fine but I say when the disciples asked Jesus saying Jesus to pray he, he said I want to you to pray like this our Father who art in heaven Number one request, hallowed be thy name. That name which is being blasphemed like we read here, all day long because other gods are ruling over my people. I want that name to be hallowed, to be honored, to be considered holy. And like one hymn says, prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed that means whether you say it or don't say it prayer is the deepest desire of your heart that's prayer you know when we pray in public we say a lot of things which are just to impress other people and even sometimes when we pray in private you know we say a lot of spiritual things but The real prayer, the real prayer that each of you and I are praying is the innermost desire of our heart. What is the deepest longing in your heart? That is your prayer, whatever you say in your mouth. And that's the thing God's listening to. The Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your Heart, Psalm 37 4. Not the desires that you express with your mouth. The desires of your heart, that is your prayer. So, most Christians, when they pray, are really hypocrites. They're not really expressing the desire of their heart because they would sound pretty carnal if they expressed the desire of their heart. So, we all know you are spiritual, so we all pray spiritual prayers. But God listens to the heart. The things we dream about at night. The things that my subconscious. You know, there's one part of me that I cannot fool. Uh, I can fool other people, like you may even be able to fool your wife and your children and a lot of other believers, but there's one part of you you cannot fool your subconscious. Deep down within, your inner consciousness knows. What you really desire, you can't pull that, and that because that subconscious knows what your deepest longing is. That doesn't listen to the words of your mouth. It listens to the longing. For example, a man, his greatest longing in life may to make more money, but he oh, won't he say said, that in, in prayer. Oh no, because he sound pretty carnal or it may be something else like that Some, some longing the subconscious is not food and so the subconscious takes over when we go to sleep our conscious mind is asleep and the subconscious takes over and feeds our mind with dreams related to what is our deepest desire. I'll tell you that. Tell me what you dream about. I'll tell you what your deepest desires are. Believe it or not, we're fooling ourselves that we think they're spiritual just because other people think they're spiritual just because we engage in a lot of Christian activity. Say a lot of nice things and pray search, and look very spiritual and got a lot of Bible knowledge or like this, and I got to preach. It's easy, you get a repetition. So, prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed. And the deepest desire of our heart, Jesus said, should be Father in heaven. I've got a lot of aches and pains in my life and that can wait. I don't have a job, but that can also wait. I don't have much money and that doesn't bother me so much, but hell be your name! That is a spiritual man. See, I grew up in a Christian home, but I was not a real Christian until I was 19 and a half, nearly 20 years old. That's when I really came up. Christian and I knew Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. But in all those years before, I never committed adultery or robbed a bank or I never murdered anyone or did any of these gross sins and my parents taught me to read the Bible every day. I was not converted. Every Sunday i go to church. I never got out of bed. I was taught that from childhood, never to get out of bed without praying. And I would pray on my knees as a little child. I would Kneel down. I didn't know to pray, but I just repeated, "Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy like, name. come." Like I, I knew it out my heart, and I repeated that, the only I prayed every morning. Prayed that and got up. But when I became a Christian and God filled me with the Holy Spirit, I began to look at that prayer more carefully. and I discovered. Anyone who can pray that prayer from his heart is truly a spiritual man. I realized I was just repeating it like a parrot for so many years. What is a spiritual man? spiritual man is, first of all, one who knows God as his father. Not as Jehovah, Almighty God. Father, Daddy, one who knows Almighty God is, as His own death. Not a grandfather who just allows me to do whatever I like, but a father who loves scared and strength And who knows God as a father in heaven who rules the universe, which means a father who can solve any problem, who can take care of any difficulty and meet any need. Almighty, capable of solving every problem and uh, helping me in anything I have in my life, any need I have. I need nobody, I don't have to go to any man if I have this father. He may use men to help me, but he will move them to help me. I don't have to depend on men. It's a wonderful thing to be a true Christian, a truly spiritual Christian who knows God as his dad and a dad who rules the universe you know our father who art in heaven is somewhat like saying my dad who you rule the universe i'm talking to you jesus said stop there if you don't know him as your dad you don't know him as the one who can handle everything in the universe you can't even begin prayer you can't even begin it's the basis for faith you know when Jesus said when you pray say our father in heaven he was trying to say listen you need a foundation for your prayer there's a foundation of faith and that faith can come only if you believe you've got a dad up in heaven not some CEO of the universe whom I cannot access but my dad and secondly you must know him as the one who runs this universe this universe in which this planet Earth is like a planet Earth is like a grain of sand, and on this grain of sand are these on this grain of sand are these teeny tiny specks which you can see through a microscope. You and me, and we live here on this grain of sand, and we think there's a problem that this one one who runs the universe can solve. That's unbelief It's unbelievable. You know what unbelief is? Unbelief is to feel that that problem you have is something that even Almighty God can't solve. That's unbelief. That's why Jesus said, don't even pray until you start with saying, Dad who runs the universe. My father, my dad who's in heaven. You don't know how restful our life would be if we just started with that first sentence in prayer? I told you I repeated it like a parrot for so many years but my life was full of sin, anxiety, fear everything in all kinds of Christian that. even after I was born again I was defeated, defeated for years and years and years and years and years, I was defeated as a preacher I was defeated I wouldn't let anybody know it I was a perfect hypocrite I could stand in the pulpit and fool everybody like a lot of preachers till I got cataculted about it you Nearly know, 40 years ago, and I said, Lord, I'm fed up with this life. I want to die a life described in the New Testament. And that's when I began to realize that I need to know God is my dad in heaven. And that's what changed my life, I tell you. And once I know Him as my dad in heaven, I'm not asking Him, Lord, heal this sickness, or give me a little more money, or give me a, a better house or a car. No not asking for these things. If I'm spiritual, I say, Lord, my number one request deep down in my heart, my subconscious testifies to that, that your name be honored. First of all in my life and in my home. And in my if I work in an office, let me honor your name by the way I live. And if I have a church, let your name be honored. Why? Because, like it says here, my name is continually blasphemed. The Lord says, everywhere, everywhere the name of God is blasphemed. And that's why the Lord says, I'm going to do something to solve this problem. And that solution comes through what we call the gospel. Do you know that the gospel is to solve this problem, which problem? that the name of God is blasphemed by His people you know the first promise in the New Testament let me turn you to that before I come back by like that the first promise in the New Testament Matthew 1, 21 It's good for you to know the first promise in the New Testament. It's good for you to know the meaning of the name of Jesus. Because we are taught when we pray, pray in the name of Jesus. And there's a lot to that. We need to understand the meaning of the name of Jesus. Matthew 1.21, the first promise. The angel told Joseph, Mary will bear a son. And you will call His name Jesus. Why? Why should you call Him Jesus? Because, 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 because He will save His people not in their sins, but from their sins. Not He will forgive them their sins, we all understand that, that was even in the Old Testament. He will save them from their sins. Nobody could be saved from their sin in the Old Testament. They could only be forgiven. One thousand years before Christ came, David would say, Bless the Lord of my soul who forgives all your iniquities. Psalm 150. How many of your iniquities were forgiven David? All of them. Really? And Christ hasn't come? That's right. Who heals all your diseases? Really? And Christ hasn't come yet? That's right. But what was it that David could not get? He could not say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who saved me from all my sins. He couldn't say that. If he looked at a pretty woman like Bathsheba, he fought healed. And then tried to cover it, cover it up by murdering her husband. He would not say. It. I've often thought in presenting the gospel. This is the Gospel, right? He will save His people from their sins and in those days His people was Israel Israel needed to be saved from their sins Today, it's the Christians The message to Christians is you know the meaning of the name Jesus? He will save His people Are you one of His people? Here's a promise He will save His people from their sins Not He will save those godless sinners from their sins. Those godless sinners need to have their sins forgiven. He will do that. But after they are forgiven, they become His people and they are in sin. The name of Jesus means He will save His people from their sins. So what does that mean in practical terms? You know, we are taught to pray in the name of Jesus. So when I come to the Lord and ask for anything, when I ask we can ask for earthly things. Sure, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day, I believe, bread. We can ask for earthly things, we can ask for health, we can ask for healing, we can ask for our material necessities, sure. But it's in the name of Jesus. I can't come in my own name. I have to come in the name of Jesus when I pray. And what does that mean? Is it just a like non christian use a mantra, a sort of chant. The Hindus put it seven you know, they use certain names, and you think that if you use a name it'll work. Christians use it like that, you know Jesus. We say we shouldn't use the Hindu, the Hindus use a, a word called Om they think that's the thing, if you keep repeating it, that'll solve your problem. But Christians say Jesus, Jesus. No, it's not like that when I come in the name of Jesus to my Father I'm saying Father I am now coming to you in the name of one who has come to save me from all my sins. Try praying like that next time. And it will bring more meaning to your prayer. I am praying in the name of one who came to save me from all my sins. Jesus. That name, which is above every name in the universe, that name at which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that name is being blasphemed. My name is continually blasphemed. And you know that that verse I read in Isaiah 2 is quoted in the New Testament, in Romans 2. Verse 22. Let's start at verse 21. Romans 2 21. You teach another, don't you teach yourself? You preach that you should not steal. But do you cheat on your income tax? You teach another that you shouldn't steal? You who say, nobody should commit adultery, verse 22, do you lust after women? Do you divorce and remarry? That's one adultery, another adultery. You boast in the law, or today, in the Bible. Do you break what's written in the Bible? As it's written, verse 24, the name of God Is blasphemed among the non Christians because of you. Same verse. It applies to Israel then, it applies to Christians today. This is Paul writing to the Romans about 30 years after the day of Pentecost. The name of God is blasphemed among you because the way you live, the name of Jesus. You know, as I've meditated on what we call ourselves, we call ourselves Christians. We take the name of Christ. The first time the word Christian occurs in the Bible, the first time, is Acts 11.26, where it says, the disciples were first called Christians. In those days, it was the disciples who were called Christians. Not anybody born into a Christian family. That's unfortunately how it is today. But the first time, please, those who disciple a disciple, what's a disciple? A disciple is a learner and a follower. Those who wanted to learn from Jesus and follow Jesus were called Christians. Today, any Catholic that can hear calls himself a Christian. Not those. But it, you know lost its value pretty quickly, even in the first century, as you went into the second generation, and today, after many, many generations, the word Christian is so devalued. It's like currency, one dollar, a lot of money, a hundred, a hundred fifty years ago, today what's it worth? It's like that word Christian, it doesn't mean much. Uh, I mean, imagine if the dollar had a value in a hundred years ago, Boy, a lot of us would be millionaires. If it had that same value. Think of the word Christian. What does it mean? A Christian. I say I'm a Christian. And I thought about it. I'm taking the name of Christ to myself. Christ is a Greek word which means the anointed one. That's the meaning, for the Messiah, the anointed one. And I'm taking that name and saying, I'm also. He anointed one. It's the same anointing that Jesus had. The same Spirit. as me, a Or to use another example, my wife took my name, became Mrs. Zach Kulin. When she married me, she didn't have that name before. She had another name. But after she married me, she got my name. Now, question. Could she dishonor the name of Zach and before she married me? Impossible. Impossible. But the moment she took my name, then if she behaved in a bad way, she could dishonor my name. Now apply that to Christ. When I say Christian, I'm saying I'm married to Christ in a very reverent way, I could say. Christian means Mrs. Jesus Christ. That's not blasphemy, by the way. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. Romans 7 4 says we are married to Him. Mrs. Jesus Christ. Are you Mrs. Jesus Christ? Are you behaving like Mrs. Jesus Christ? The name of God is blasphemed. I see. who is the one who can blaspheme? As I told you, my wife could never dishonor my name before she got my name. So in the world today, Who are the ones who can dishonor the name of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you, no Muslim, no Hindu, no Buddhist can ever dishonor the name of Jesus Christ. Impossible. Like I said, how could my wife dishonor my name before she took my name? Impossible. They don't take the name of Christ. Maybe they can dishonor the name of their God, but they can't dishonor the name of Christ. Impossible. Whereas very often People say, oh, look at these godless people dishonoring, dishonoring the name of Christ in America or Canada. They cannot dishonor the name of Christ. It's those who claim to be married to Christ who are dishonoring His name. Who are the ones who claim to be married to Christ? Do you think that person born in a nominal Christian family, growing up in a church that doesn't even preach the new birth, you hear talking about being married to Christ? Which churches do you think you hear about being the bride of Christ? You don't hear about it in 90% of Christendom. It's the churches that preach about being born again. They say, we are the bride of Christ. We are married to Christ. Really? Good. Then you better be careful about that name. That it may never be said about us, the name of God is blasphemed by the way we live. It's a tremendous challenge. I don't know if you take it seriously. I have to confess that for 16 years of my Christian life, major part of those first 16 years of my Christian life, I didn't take it seriously. I did take it right at the beginning when I was first in order. I was so excited for a number of years. But you know what happens? There's a proverb in the world that says, familiarity breeds contempt. That means, the more familiar you become with a person uh, you don't treat that person with the same respect that you had at the beginning you see that very often in married couples you see how they treat each other with a lot of respect when they are dating or in their honeymoon and all they are very careful how they speak but go and see them even one year later four or five years later it's not the same respect it's gone familiarity, Now we are familiar with each other. I remember one wife saying to her husband, if you will speak to me just in the same tone of voice you speak to strangers who come to the door, that'll be enough. That's enough. A stranger comes to the door, how do you speak to that person? It's not the way you speak to your wife and husband, right? Familiarity has produced content. The same thing happens with people who say, I'm born again, I've accepted Christ in the beginning. I, I really believe the person who really born again, right at the beginning, in such love for Christ and devotion, and then over a period of time, familiarity, prayer becomes a ritual. In the beginning it was really meaningful, it becomes a ritual. We took sin seriously in the beginning, but not so seriously seven years later. And I tell you, most Christians will admit, they're honest. If they don't love the Lord, it's like they did at first. Unless they are just like a lot of married couples who really loved one another when they got married, but it sort of cooled off as time went on. So, the name of God is blessed familiarity and brought contempt. And we become familiar with Jesus, and over a period of time, I found myself also the same way, inwardly backsliding, still preaching so many wonderful things. It can happen to anybody. I'll tell you the thing that turned me around was when I got fed up of that life and said, Lord, I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to live life this. Life. You've got to do something to me. To, I ask you only for one thing. I, I don't want to be a great preacher. I anything. Mean, I ask you for one thing in my life, that my inner life will correspond with my outer life, that I'll never see what's not true in my inner life, that my life will hallow your name. The first request in prayer then nothing in my life must dishonor that wonderful name of Jesus. But I'm not a And I confess, Lord, I have dishonored your name. It's not just what other people can see. You know, we can guard ourselves. I was telling somebody the other day, somebody with fallen into obvious sin and had lost his reputation because other people knew about his sin. You know, so you Fall into some sin like adultery, your reputation is gone, shattered. Because you, who everybody thought was very holy, fall into adultery. And I was telling this person, I said, listen, do you know that something far more serious than the loss of your name before your friends is what the devil is telling God? Gosh. God. Look at this guy there. You say he's your child? God, is he your child? See, what, see how he's living. See what he does in the secret. The name of God is blasphemed there in the heavens, Do you know that God and Satan have conversations about his people on earth? I don't think really you know that. The first book of the 66 books in the Bible is the book of Job. It was written long before Genesis. Genesis was written by Moses, and Job lived long before Moses, 500 years before Moses. So, Job is the first book of the Bible. And it's the only book in the Bible which is no connection with Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. The only book among the 66 because he lived before that time. So, when God decided to write a book for man the very first paragraph of the very first book he's writing for man is about the conversation in the heavens. God is Satan <clears throat> having a conversation about those who take his name on the earth and if I were to expand those first few verses of Job chapter 1, it's Satan saying, God, look at all these hypocrites on earth. <clears throat> they take your name, but look how they live. And God says, Ah. What have you seen, Job? He's not like He's not like I mean the devil could have probably pointed out Eliphas and Bildad, <clears throat> Zophar, those other preachers, you know. <clears throat> God, look at Eliphaz, Bildad, they know such a lot of the Bible, but look at their lives. God says, yes, those preachers are hypocrites, but so what about Job? <clears throat> and that conversation goes on even today. The so devil says, what about that person? What about this person? What about this switch? And God is looking for whom he can point out to Satan and say, ah, but have you seen this one? And God says, look at these families. These people call themselves Christians. God, look at these people who say they are Christians. They divorce and remarry, and all types of things. So the children don't even know who's their father and who's their mother. And they call themselves, your name. God says, ah, oh, but have you seen this family? And the devil says, churches. Look at all these churches. Look at the standards they have in these churches. God says, ah, oh, but look at this church. Do you know that that's what God's looking for? He's not looking for huge mega churches. You think God's impressed by numbers? I see in Scripture. Whenever Jesus encountered a multitude, he spoke some of the hardest words to them. You read in Matthew chapter five, seeing the multitude, he went up the mountain and spoke to his disciples. But the multitude heard what he was saying. Because in the end of chapter 7 you read that multitude amazed. is what he said. And those are some of the hardest words in the entire New Testament, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You read in Luke 14 and verse 24, 25 onwards. Great multitude came to Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, you've got to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, you've got to take up your cross and follow me, you've got to forsake all that you have, then you can be my disciples. Those are some of the hardest words ever found in the Gospels. You read in John chapter 6 again a huge multitude came to Jesus and he spoke to them words like you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, identify with me my death. And it says most of the disciples left and went. <clears throat> that was Jesus' attitude to multitudes. So different from preachers today who will never speak hard words to the multitude because some people may go away. We will lose their offering. Jesus never cared about offerings. He never cared about numbers. The two things that modern... Christians and churches are concerned about numbers and offerings, Jesus was never concerned about. He was concerned about quality. That the name of the Father should be glorified. Isaiah 52 Let's turn back there. You are missing something when you don't read these Old Testament prophets. I told you the gospel was meant to uh, provide a solution to this dishonored God's name. I'll show you that. Isaiah 52, verse 5, last part. My name is continually blasphemed all day long. We saw that. Okay, but my people shall know my name. And in that day, verse 6, I am the one who's speaking. Here I am. And how is God speaking? Here it is, the word gospel that comes in the Old Testament. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of who, him who brings the gospel. The good news. This verse is quoted in Romans chapter ten, concerning those who preach the gospel evangelists we brought unto him and who bring good news of happiness, who announces salvation. He shall save his people from their sins and says to Zion your God reigns." That is the gospel. The gospel is not your sins and you can go to heaven. No. The gospel is your God reigns. Anything less than that is not a gospel. Three here. And you are watching them lift up their voices, they shout joyfully together. And how is it all going to happen? It's going, to be, it's going to happen like this. Thank you. It's going to happen, God says, through my servant, verse 13. This is how this wonderful thing is going to happen. My servant will be lifted up on a cross, his form will be marred, verse 14, disappeared. More than any human being, it's what happened on the cross? Now, you must ignore the chapter divisions. Remember, chapter divisions were made by men. Ignore it. 53, verse But who has believed it? this message? To who whom is the arm, arm of the Lord being revealed? You, you know Isaiah 53, a great chapter of the cross. It comes from here. This is where it begins. My name is blasphemed, but someone's coming. With good tidings, how beautiful are the feet of those who are proclaiming these good tidings in the gospel. Your God is gonna reign. He's gonna reign from a cross. Your God is gonna reign from a cross. And who's gonna believe that? Because earthly is gonna reign from the cross. They're thrones but Your God reigns from where? He'll be lifted up, his face will be disfigured, this face, this appearance that is more disfigured. Then that of any human being is going to be the face of the King. He has verse chapter verse. He has no stately form or majesty, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. Who can believe that this is the way of salvation? Who can believe it today? Yeah, you can read that old chapter. You know it. <clears throat> this is the way the name of God is going to be hallowed when Jesus, before he went to the cross you know that wonderful prayer that he prayed in John 17 uh, in John's Gospel, chapter 17 I don't know whether you noticed this he says in verse 4 I have glorified thee on the earth by completing the work which He gave me to do. Let's stop for a moment. All of us will say, I want to glorify God on the earth. I think you'll say that. And he said you how you can glorify God on the earth. The only way you can fully glorify God on earth is by completing the work. God planned that you should do when he saved. Even though I did not know the secret of overcoming sin till I was 36 years old, 16 years after I was born again, but there was something I knew even when I was 21. I don't know, the year I got baptized in water the Lord showed me one thing which I have never forgotten that He had a plan for my life and I said Lord I want to fulfill it I wasn't married then, I said Lord I want to marry the one you have chosen for me I want to do the work You've chosen for me I have no ambition on earth but to do your will, that's all. I want to really follow Jesus. I have no ambition to make money, no ambition to get a name, no ambition to be a great preacher. I want to finish the work you planned for me from eternity that I should do. That's why you sent me to the earth. that's why you allowed me to be born in India. You had a purpose, you chose my family, you chose the place where I should be born because you've got a plan for me to fulfill. And if I'm devoted to do your will, I know one thing that I am immortal until that work is done. I cannot die until I finish my work. I know there. So, I am glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And I say, Lord, I want to finish the work you gave me to do before I leave. It's absolutely unimportant how healthy I was or how wealthy I became. I want to finish the work God gave me to do. I wish all of you would be great by this. Are you really Christian? Do you believe God's got a plan for your life? I'm not any more a special favorite of God than you are if you're born again. Now, what was the major part of that word you used? Here it is. Verse 6. I manifested thy name. By my life, I manifested. Name of the Father. What is the name of God? Father. Nobody knew him as Father. Till Jesus came. John 118. John 118. Nobody has seen God until Jesus came and explained him to us. Beautiful translation. He explained God and said, He's a Father in heaven. I have manifested that name. And he says, you know, I Verse 12, I kept these people in thy name. How did Jesus keep those 11 disciples? In that name. And he concludes that prayer in the last verse by saying, I have made thy name known to them and will continue to make it known for 20 centuries more through my servants, so that the love which you love me with will be in them. That their hearts will be flooded with love for God so that they will not sin. And their hearts be flooded with love for one another. I have made thy name. You know, so much is dependent on knowing the name of God. He's a father. I hope we are gripped by this and say, Lord, I don't want to dishonor your name anymore. By idolatry, or by giving anything in the place in my life that you should have. That's us Whatever the Lord has spoken to you, now is the day of salvation. We can respond to that particular thing that God spoke to so about. It. Say, Lord, I want to respond to this particular area in my life that you told me. I want to confess my sin. I want to say to you, this is my sincere desire. Glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray.